Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's Saturday, which means it's time for another bonus podcast on the front three. Adam and Lawrence here. Hello. To talk football in China. Joining us to do so, we've got football writer Steve Price, based in Korea, who runs the website kleaguefootball.com, here to give his insight on football in the Far East and the Chinese Super League. Steve, welcome to the front three. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Obviously, Steve... Football in China dominating the back pages here in England over the past few weeks. What with Diego Costa reportedly offered £30 million a year to move to the Far East and subsequently being dropped by Antonio Conte with the speculation reported uh, to have unsettled him somewhat. Yaya Torre this week coming out um, and revealing that he has turned down uh, an offer of half a million pounds a week uh, to move to the Far East. And more broadly speaking, we've seen big players move to China over the past 12 months, Alex Teixeira, Oscar and Carlos Tevez, of course, moving to China to become the highest paid player in the world. I mean, Steve, it's uh, it's a pretty extraordinary situation. But for those who don't know, what is what is fueling this boom? At the moment, yeah, it's been the last two seasons we've had this transfer window and the last winter's transfer window, which, as you know, in China, the seasons are a bit different. So... This is the equivalent of their summer transfer window. They're getting in the new players ready for the next season. Um, that factors in a little bit because if you think about back in England, the, most of the spending happens in the summer and not that much happens in the winter. So the signings in China look a little bit bigger because of that. Um, the reason... <coughs> sorry, I've got a bit of a cold here. The reason uh, these signings are so big is because of the way they're... Um, the league works that only allowed uh, a certain number of foreign players in the team and as a result the Chinese players in their team uh, their transfer values have skyrocketed because you have to play so many Chinese players and so to get value for money if you want to buy a Chinese player there was I think the second choice goalkeeper he moved clubs last last winter for about 10 million 10 million euros, I think it was. And you can imagine like how bad the second-choice goalkeeper for China is going to be. He's definitely not going to be in that price range. And so because of that, yeah, if you can get in a top foreign player, even if you're paying 
a little bit too much for that player. You're still getting good value for money compared to the Chinese players. Uh, whether the boom's totally lasting, actually, we've noticed it in the last two windows with players moving from Europe uh, to, yeah, to China. But in the windows before that, um, and for the last five years or so, the best players from Brazil and from Argentina who haven't been playing in Europe have been moving directly from Brazil and Argentina to China. Players like Alcacan, players like Dario Conca. Yeah, they've already been moving before, uh, before recent transfer windows. But because now the players are moving from Europe, people are noticing it more. In terms of the driving forces, though, Steve, obviously uh, the government are backing this. Obviously, big businesses are backing this. President Xi, of course, has spoken of his desire uh, to make China a football superpower, uh, to build a, a huge sports industry around football um, with the ultimate aim to host and win the World Cup. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, well, as we all know, China's economy has been developing and that's been going on for the last three or four decades. But like now that the economy is getting there, yeah, they're starting to focus on culture and sports more. And this has been a trend in like lots of different economies. It's happened in Korea, it's happened in Japan when their economies grew and then they started focusing on these things. And China started off by focusing on the Olympics. We saw they had the Olympics in Beijing. They won so many medals there, all in kind of individual sports. And now they're starting to try and go after the team sports. Um, yeah, and football, of course, is the major one of those. So, yeah, the government's definitely backing it. And most of the clubs in China, they are owned by very large corporations who kind of want some favor from the government. So they feel like if we really back our team and we're really successful, it brings, you know, a lot of pride to China. And that's going to help us when we're, you know, trying to sort out contracts and stuff, the government's and I have our back, that kind of thing. So that's that's kind of the gist of it. So businesses are in some way backing the government's drive to make China a football superpower in order to to gain favour. Uh, well, yeah, gain some favour, and you know, maybe kind of if they're having making a decision, the government's yeah not going to say anything if um, it's yeah something they didn't like. The government's not going to crack down on things if they're doing anything. So it's yeah, it kind of. It's going to help those businesses in a way, hmm, and that's a lot of like how business works in China. Is you know, if you help out in one way, then you get a favor in another way, and so on. Is that so is that um, is that do they? So, for instance, I mean, I know that obviously they're bringing players into the league, and there's a very direct sort of um, benefit from that, which is okay. We're bringing all the big guys. Do they know that in Europe people are sort of mocking them for spending so much money and sort of blowing the market completely apart? Because I think, you know, obviously there's the sort of the, the money kudos, but they don't seem to have any sort of social capital. Do you know what I mean? Uh, well, from a European point of view, definitely that's true. But a lot of times if you're over in China, then from their point of view, uh, they're not looking so much as to whether Europe approves or not. They're looking towards themselves. It's a huge country, as you know, and towards their place within within the Asian region. They want to be like the top dog in the Asian region in football terms. Uh, they want to, you know, get the prestige of winning the Asian Champions League and showing they're the best team in Asia, or like winning the Asian Cup. And 
yeah, this is how they're doing it. They want to make their league number one in Asia, first of all, before yeah. trying to take over the world. And, and uh, so they, they don't really care about the, what anyone else thinks, essentially, because they, you know, they've, they've not only taken players from Europe, but for quite a while now, like you say, they've, they've well, pretty much taken entire sides from Brazil. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. There's been so many players who've moved over. I mean, not just to to China, but also lots of Brazilians have moved to Japan and Korea in the past. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah quite a common route for footballers to move. Um, as I said in the article, some players have moved on from the, from those countries to Europe. So definitely, they get they get watched by scouts from Europe there as well. Yeah. So for players in Brazil, it's quite a good career decision to make. Um, <coughs> and yeah, I think in China, really, yeah, they don't worry so much about the European press as the European press thinks they do. Why, why do you think they did go in? I mean, I, obviously, I, uh, I, I would assume they don't care as much about the European press, but why do you think they did go in with such high prices in the first place? Um, well, I can understand they went in with high wages to really make sure like the players wanted to come. You know, if you pay... Uh, players that much money they're going to want to want to come and play there yeah. um, I'm not I'm not really sure the reason I think it's just because it's the winter transfer window and because as I said they have to pay a lot and it kind of makes sense for them to pay a lot they don't have to like the economy uh, economics of it because the Chinese players themselves are so expensive it makes sense to pay a lot uh, to pay over the top prices in order to get the very best, because that's the easiest way to improve your team. Um, there's also, because you only have those three players, if you think about, let's say, a mid-table premiership team, and you think about how much money they spent on their whole squad, mm. but if you could only spend that money on one or two players, you're going to be spending a lot, right? And because they can only buy those players, also the club's, or the clubs know it, the agents know it, and the price gets pushed up and up and up. And it's the winter transfer window in England. Uh, you know, teams don't want to let their players go, and that also pushes it up. So there's a lot of factors. Each one is you know, adding an extra 10 or 20% onto the price, and it just goes through the roof. Yeah. Yeah, like to 71 million for Carlos Tevez, who was going to retire anyway at the end of the season. I mean, that was, that's what I find sort of unusual. Is it's kind of like why, why, why bid? Like, I'm, I'm really curious as to why someone would bid seventy-one million for Tevez when you know maybe even half would have sufficed. You know, yeah, like you could have got him from way less. Yeah, Tevez is a really surprising one for me. A lot of the other transfers make sense. Um, I'm not sure if his does make sense. As yeah, you know, he's he, he is actually at the end of his career. A lot of these other players are coming in. Yeah kind of towards the peak or just after the peak of their careers. Well, that is the, the interesting one, isn't it? I mean, last January, of course, you saw Alex Teixeira, who was linked with a move to Liverpool. He ended up moving to China. Oscar, um, who I think is only 26, um, perhaps lost his place in the first team at Chelsea, but again, chose to move to China. I mean, what do you make of the criticism some of these players get, Steve? Because Ian Robin, of course, came out earlier this week saying players were wasting their careers by moving to China. Um, yeah, if you're going there for a couple of years, you get a lot of money and essentially you're still playing football. And even though you're not playing it at the highest, highest level, you're still playing it at an okay, a, an okay level. You're still getting, you know, 50,000 odd fans watching you. So when you think about it like that. Is that the, do you think people romance the, that there's a romanticism to the situation and at the end of the day, 
people forget that, that football is just a job essentially for these people. Yeah, well, I mean, you've been seeing it for years and years and years in, in England anyway. Um, people wonder why players, you know, if I think I, I noticed a quote, um, quote on Twitter the other day about, you know, why do players move to Wigan? They don't move there for the weather. Um, they're moving there because they get those high salaries to play for a mid-level team when they could be, you know, playing in Spain, um, you know, in nice weather for a better team. It's so essentially it's been going on in England anyway. Uh, it's been going on a lot in Europe with players joining like Paris Saint Germain and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's just natural. That's how players choose their contracts. Once you're a big player, unless you are playing for your hometown club, like some players, um, like Alan Shearer was talking about, because you know, he's been playing for Newcastle for a long time in his career before he retired. Uh, unless you're playing for your hometown club, you're not going to have any real connection to any club. So, yeah, you'll just take go for the money. And also, as long as the move's not going to com- completely tank your career in the future, then there's no reason for you to not do it. And what I was trying to say in the article is that moving to China is not going to totally ruin your career. Um, you go there, go there, even if you're there for one or two years, it's you, know, you still have a lot of time to come back and to play back in Europe and to still win things in Europe with whichever club you join next. That's the thing. It's not necessarily a, a permanent situation. Um, they can return, as you point out in the article. Um, it might um, become difficult. I mean, some people may, yeah, I guess, I guess it's sort of, Obviously, we, I, I see the value from the, the Chinese side um, in bringing the players over. I also see the value from the, the sort of the players side from going over. I think Guy and Robbins maybe he does make a, an interesting point though is that the league's not quite. It isn't the same level as um, you know the, the the Premier League, or it isn't the same level as Serie A or La Liga. And and so when he sort of says they're wasting their careers, I guess he sort of means they're not playing at what would be considered a world top level, or even that. You know, I, I guess that's also it. How are the players treated when they then get to China? Are they, you know, are these people considered to be superstars? Are they considered to just be another one of the players? Like, what's the public perception? Yeah, well, there's a, another point um, in talking about playing at the top level. A lot of the Brazilian players who are playing in China, despite playing in China, still get into the into the Brazilian national team, and yeah, they they got to go to the World Cup, so it doesn't affect things like their chances to play in a national team either. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it would for maybe it would for a Dutch player or, or someone like that. Um, you know, I guess that it's also it's um, it's also I think a lot of Europeans sort of fear or, or European coaches definitely fear the sort of flying a player back and forth and how beneficial that is for them. You're right. Uh, well, I'm sure that, like those players, if they're interested in playing in a national team, have talked to the national team coach before moving to to China. Yeah, well, you um, hope so. Imagine they would, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and but yeah, the players, I think they're they're seen pretty much as superstars. And if you think of when Beckham went to the MLS and how like his impact there was, how big his impact was, um, you can imagine one of these players is going to be like that in China and. They're going to be like a figurehead for that whole city of, you know, I think in Shanghai and the surrounding regions, you're talking almost 50 million people. Uh, so it's a, a really big chance for their career on that level as well um, to become really kind of famous in a huge area. Do they also than, sort of get endorsement just deals? Sitting on the Chelsea bench. Do, but do, they do, they also sort of get, do they also sort of get endorsement deals? So, you know, obviously on top of the, 
the huge wages, which are really great for the player in the first place, do they also get sort of, you know, are they going to be the face of a drink company or, you know, are they the face of, I don't know, the equivalent of whatever uh, sportswear company oh, there is in China? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, not just uh, not just the equivalent of the sportswear company. I'd imagine that like Adidas and Nike are paying them um, money for contracts there as well. Do you think it's? Uh, I mean, Lawrence, it's uh, an interesting when you're talking about football. They're still playing football where it isn't the same level. I mean, do you think it's a legitimate argument to when people say, you know, would you turn down four times the salary to to move to China? Well, I guess I also think that um, it's. <laughs> Football's a funny one, isn't it? Because you can, um, part of the argument you can make about football is, you know, when you then return home, you can tell stories about, um, I, the, okay, so you, you tell stories about going to China, those kind of things, but th- there are going to be a lot of people in Europe who are, there's a, I don't know, you, you could call it a football kind of snobbery, but the point is snobbery sort of comes from a false place. And the point is that the, the, the idea in Europe is that you play for your national side. You, you know, it's a very traditional idea of football. It's that you play for your national side. It's not for the money. It's for, you know, it's for the pride. It's for the, you know, the, the champions league It's to win things that your previous generations have won. And so people maybe sneer a little bit at the idea of moving to another country. And they sneered when David Beckham moved to MLS. And now that is becoming more and more a normalized idea. And, you know, now it's sort of the, the case with China. And I guess that the problem also is with China is that their image is that they are somewhat the global bad guys at the moment from a, a European perspective, a US perspective. I'm not saying I, I, I agree with that, but I think, you know, politically, they're not seen as sort of allies um, within Europe because I think they're a they feel so far away and b not not many people actually know or sort of talk that much about them. They're spoken about as a, a as a, you know, a far off land. And it's not. If we're completely honest, it's not seen as a very exotic place. Um, you know, it's seen as a place which is, um, I guess, still somewhat under um, a, a sort of a government um, control. And even if that's not the case, there is, you know, there's still a lot of press attention towards that kind of thing. So I think that that's part of it is all of these maybe uh, people's ideas of china maybe get in the way of what actually happens and so i think that's probably why it's best to talk to someone who lives there or sort of at least gets the insight of that league you know it's an interesting debate in that you know uh the, the challenge is not necessarily the same in china at this point in time you know and i think the the level of the uefa champions league winning the uefa champions league is not the same as winning the, the asian champions league at this point in time and you know um a lot of people would would point to what the legacy of that player would be at the end of their career I think the debate will be more uh, pointed when someone like Diego Costa does move um, to China Steve when you know there's a player who potentially is at the top of their career who is someone who is um, is at their peak yeah when you start talking about perhaps you know the top 10 players in the world uh, like that because for you know a lot of players winning uh, winning the Champions League it's something you can't really guarantee unless you're playing for like Real Madrid where they win it so often that you might get it. Um, even if you're playing for Chelsea or Arsenal, there's no way of knowing you're going to even manage to get through the quarterfinals. Um, <laughs> I guess it's also worth so, saying about, um, about Diego Costa is part of his problem is that he doesn't enjoy living in London. So some people are saying, if you don't like London, why, you know, 
this is not me uh, sort of slurring any city, especially not London. But, you know, if you don't like London, how are you going to cope in Shanghai? Um, do you, you know, what, how are players treated when they get over there? I mean, what, what is a lifestyle like for a player in China? Uh, well, I guess it depends on the reason you don't like London. Um, well, yeah, totally. You know, yeah. Well, maybe it's because they speak English. Maybe uh, Shanghai is a massive city. Um, yeah, it's it's going to have everything the players need, um, especially with the wages they're on. There's nothing they're not going to be able to get. So it's going to be the same as living in any other major city in the world. Um, I think, you know, we've seen also with Costa, he's, you know, he's Brazilian, but decided he wants to play for Spain. Uh, so, yeah, I... I I actually yeah, thought he's one of the players who's going to be most likely to want to move, um, you know, move to China. I have, yeah, I do have a certain, not I do have a certain sympathy for the players who get a lot of criticism because, uh, like I say, if, if people were offered four times their current salary, I think it would be difficult for them to turn down in that situation. At the same time, most people are not earning one hundred fifty thousand. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Pounds a week as it is. The other thing to, to consider, though, is you know, we're not asking the players to move from their home country to China. They're already playing on the other side of the world from their home country. Most of these players are from Brazil. So if you're from Brazil and you're playing in England, you're already a long way away from your your family and your hometown anyway. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a good point. Uh, I think. That's I mean, I guess point. you could you yeah. could say that Brazil's more of a sort of um, due to you know um, just people moving around the world very early on. Brazil is a closer culture to Europe because of you know they speak Portuguese or you know the people kind of have um, a an understanding and i think that that that's part of it is is maybe maybe and maybe this is part of what china's aiming to do through this is breaking down social barriers um in the sense that their the global perception of them is is actually not a great one is it so you know do, do you think i mean i know you said earlier you know the the government don't really care what the europeans think or the league don't really care what europeans think but how much do you think that's on sort of a the government agenda that they want to you know appear to be able to compete not only monetarily but in terms of sort of wow we're a really valuable league people want to watch this yeah well it's part of the um the move towards kind of cultural industries that i was talking about earlier and you know we've seen that that's it's maybe not obvious in europe but if you if you go to asia you can see it with countries like south korea having um like their culture ex exported to other asian countries and it's mm. really a big thing for their economy and this is where china is trying to move as well they're trying to become like the top lead, the top place in asia for sports and um this is the way they're doing it is you know they're doing it through football and through the chinese super league yeah. and so yeah that 
they're looking about it in that kind of long-term way and I think they're not too worried if there's you know some articles in the English press that are negative towards them right now um, but yeah it's part of their long-term strategy and I think the government would love to have one of those big players to really come over and that that would really show them how big the league is mm. uh, the question is if they're prepared to pay the price which they would need to in order to bring in a real top 10 player in terms of that long-term development in terms of bringing those players in Steve I mean obviously um, signing players of of that profile it brings attention it brings fans um, but is that main aim almost that overall overriding uh, objective of these transfers to be to, to improve the standard of the football and have domestic players up against stars of the quality of the Italian of, uh, of say Diego Costa uh, well, it's, it's definitely improving the standard of football is in terms of, you know, the people wanting to go and watch the games. You know, you want to go and watch the big stars. A lot of uh, countries in Asia have that problem with their domestic leagues is that, you know, people would rather watch the big stars in, in the premiership than watch their own leagues. So having them there is going to make people come to the games and watch the Chinese domestic league. And yeah, that's going to inspire kids and get them to want to become footballers. And also it's going to get them to think of the Chinese players as heroes as well. And think like these guys, this is like a role model I can look up to. Some of the uh, Chinese player who's playing really well against all these stars. Uh, whether it's the best thing to develop the Chinese players themselves, I think they would need a few more foreign players in their team. So like they're competing against a lot of a lot of foreign players that would really help develop them. Um, so I kind of think like the rule they made last week where they're reducing the number of foreign players is actually going to have a bit of a negative effect on the development of Chinese football players. What, what do you think it was? What's it like over there just when you go to a game? I mean, obviously you've been to European matches and, you know, a lot of people know what it feels like to go to a football match, but it, is it the same in China or is there a, different feeling is there a different you know what's the stadium like um well, the, the stadiums are yeah they're kind of if you imagine the olympic stadium in london um kind of quite similar to that and like they would have usually a running track around them or they're developed in that kind of way and the in china the fans like their chanting and stuff seems a lot more structured um, a lot more somebody's telling them what to say rather than it being as spontaneous as it is in England. Who, who tells them? Um, well, in, in Korea, it's done through um, the TV board, actually, like okay. um, the video screen, and it will have the lyrics of the song on that screen on the other side of the stadium for people to follow. Um, they also do the thing where in China and in Korea where you have uh, a guy at the front with the loudspeaker. Uh, he says the chants and then everybody else you know, repeats what he says. Mm -hmm. um, so the chants are kind of done a lot like that rather than it suddenly springing up kind of spontaneously from a random corner of the stadium. Nice. So the, yeah, the atmosphere is a little bit different uh, definitely than it is in England. As passionate, would you say? I mean, how long have these teams been around? If 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 it's sort of you know, uh, so for instance, I you know, I don't know how long, uh, or maybe some people listening wouldn't know how long the league has been around for by this time. You know, are these are these established sides that people sort of have built an emotional connection with, or is it seen as more of a, you know, is is it a bit more like um, 
I don't know, a franchise kind of situation where it's like, um, you know. Well, the teams have been around, some of them have been around for a really long time. They've been around for, you know, over 50 years. Uh, but their forms changed a bit from time to time as you know, different owners come and go and things like that. Uh, in their current form, most of the top teams have been around now for a good 10 years or so. Let's talk a little bit about that rule change that you mentioned there, Steve. Um, interesting that you think it could potentially be counterproductive. I mean, uh, the Chinese Football Association announced these plans on Monday. Uh, they want to reduce the number of foreign players eligible to feature in the league. With clubs essentially re- reducing it from four to three, um, they have to now at least field one Chinese player under the age of 23 as well in the starting lineup uh, of each Chinese Super, Super League game. I mean, how do you think that's going to affect uh, the situation? Um well, it's definitely going to come as a shock for a lot of teams because it's coming so suddenly. And as you know, as I said earlier, the prices of Chinese players are already massively inflated. It's going to make the prices of the under-23 players like insane. And it's going to put a lot of pressure on this guy's shoulders because you know, they're going to be moving for fees which are way, way higher than what the players are actually going to be worth. Um, I think... The fact that they're only going to be up against three foreign players uh, game in, game out is going to kind of not really help their development so much. Uh, it'd be better for them to be playing against a few more a few more really top-level players. If you had five foreign players and five Chinese players on a side, then that would really you know force the Chinese players to raise their game. Um, but with just three, I don't think it's going to do it quite as much. Um, I think they did it uh, China did it somewhat because they want to, as well as develop their leagues, they want to try and stop other Asian leagues from uh, developing their players through China and from, uh, from that kind of thing, which, um, yeah, is quite a, a long roundabout, roundabout way of developing your league and compared to other leagues. Uh, I think they're doing that a little bit, um, especially when it comes to the national side, which is what the rule changes aimed at improving. How do the Chinese players um, see it? The, like the, the, the players on that side? Because obviously, you know, you think of a couple of the South American players and when they first came over to England, people were sort of mesmerised with them. Um, is, the, is the perception similar in China? Uh, and also, yeah, they, all the clubs have the big name coaches as well, like uh, Sven Goen Eriksson and so often. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're meeting like those guys who everybody knows. knows. They're meeting them on a daily basis. Um, the you know the top players are not going to be too bothered, but I can imagine these guys who are going to be in the under twenty three side, and suddenly they go from you know playing basically on their own in an empty stadium in a reserve league to being thrown into you know the team with some of like the biggest players in the world, players who play for the Brazilian national team and stuff. It's going to be a real big shock for those guys, definitely. It's really interesting uh, when you talk about that rule change Steve perhaps there is a flawed logic in there in terms of developing their own uh, talent in terms of developing homegrown Chinese talent um, talk to me a little bit about what you mentioned there about limiting the opportunities for players from from other Asian countries yeah what I actually the reason I think they made this rule change is um, not because of the high prices for the foreign players but um, because of a Korean player called uh, Kwon Kyung Won uh, he w- he was playing in, in the, I think it was in Dubai, uh, the Arab Emirates, and he moved to um, Tianjin, the side that's trying to sign Diego Costa, for what is the second highest price for any Korean player ever, 
behind Sung Hun Min. Uh, so he's not even in the Korean national team, but he moved there for, I think it's 11 million euros. And quite rightly, the Chinese, uh, Chinese government see that as a bit of a waste of money because this player is not, not worth that, that amount. He was watched by uh, some top teams in Europe before moving to China, but they definitely wouldn't pay, I'd say they wouldn't pay more than two or three million for him. Um, if, if that's probably, yeah, probably less than that. Uh, but yeah, he's moved to, moved to China for this huge, huge amount of money. And you can imagine the government are thinking, if this sort, sort of thing's going to happen, we might as well spend our money on the real top, top players uh, in the world, rather than spend that much for a player who's not going fe- to, like, not worth that much and isn't much better than the Chinese players who would be replacing. He is better than the Chinese players who would be replacing, but not by a world-class kind of standard. But is there, a, is there also an eye on the international stage in that this rule could potentially limit opportunities for players from other Asian countries who, you know, ultimately those countries could be international rivals? Um, in terms of yeah, developing players, if you want to develop a player, it, um, if you want to have the player playing against these three top foreigners, then from the Chinese government's perspective, they would obviously rather it to be a Chinese player than a Korean player. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's their thinking behind it. In terms of international football, I mean, uh, of course, China have only actually qualified for one World Cup uh, in 2002. Um, they're currently, of course, 82nd, I think, in the admittedly much maligned FIFA rankings. But do you think we can expect to see improvement internationally over the next five to ten years with this boom in the domestic league? If you look not just at the FIFA rankings, but also the ELO rankings, which are usually a little bit more accurate, they're not doing very well in those rankings either. And of course, in 2002, that was hosted in Asia. Korea and Japan were already in the competition. So it made it, you know, with two Asian teams already playing in it, it made it quite easy for China to get into that World Cup. Um, so at the moment, they're really struggling to qualify. If you applied FIFA's new rules about the 48-team World Cup to the Russian World Cup, then I still don't think that China would qualify for that. Um, so they've definitely got a long way to go. But I think with the development they're doing, they can get they can get there. They I don't think they're going to become the best the best nation in the world at football anytime soon. But I think they're going to be good enough to qualify for the World Cup, um, especially with the new FIFA rule change coming in. Mm, that FIFA rule change as well, interestingly, might not only make it easier for them to to qualify, but also potentially host it. Not many countries are going to have the resources or the facilities to host a 48 team world cup of course there's talk about sort of a transcontinental uh, hosting but china you think would be a nation who are, who are well set up to do that and of course president xi has, has spoken of a desire to win the world cup yeah definitely i mean that's one of the things about the, the idea of the 48 world uh, team world cup that i don't think is very well thought out yeah, it's getting such a big tournament even though the number of games is not that high um, the number of teams who have to go there, the number of fans who are going to be flying in just for two games, the whole infrastructure is going to be crazy. So there's only going to be a few, te- a few countries in the world that will be able to host that World Cup um, unless they do do something where, like with the European Championships next, they're moving it around and playing it across the whole continent. Um, and I think China definitely have that in mind. There's you know, a lot of talk about FIFA trying to almost make it so China can get the World Cup and you know, if you have the World Cup, you don't want to embarrass yourself in it. There's also, 
So the way it's structured now is going to make it a little bit easier for teams to kind of accidentally go a long way um, because you know, the group stage is that bit smaller. Uh, you could accidentally <coughs> go all, like further than you would normally. Are there any, I mean, I know this is probably a ridiculous question. Are there any dissenting voices about the way that the, the, the league is going and the, um, the, the way that the, the government hasn't, or whoever is in charge, uh, hasn't really uh, tried to take it in a, a direction which seems a bit more holistic? Like this, seem, this is obviously a very money-oriented uh, sort of uh, situation. There doesn't seem to be much of a holistic approach in that sense. Um, well, from from where I am, it seems a lot like the owners are always arguing amongst themselves a lot um, about the way the league's going. When Guangzhou Evergrande were in the Champions League, the um, the league made like a special rule to allow them an extra foreign player, and compared to all of the other teams, to try and help them win that competition. And there are also rumours about this current rule change that. Guangzhou Evergrande also knew about this rule change um, a long time in advance. And that's why they haven't tried to really sign any top players in this transfer window. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of the owners bickering against each other um, about it. But from a kind of holistic point of view, I don't think uh, any of those kind of big voices who are making themselves heard have really said anything against it. Interesting. Uh, and they haven't you- also haven't really said anything against the way the league's going at all. I know this is sort of playing on a Chinese trope, but is that partly down to how free speech works in China? Or is that, is that a, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I don't know that much about China. I know one person who's ever been there um, and they love it. Like they absolutely, you know, they're like, you must come. It's the best country in the world. You know, I want to live there. And I, <laughs> I believe them because it sounds incredible. Like the, the WhatsApp is even better. But like the, the point is that from a European perspective, you know, a lot of people sort of, have a dissenting voice and i'm trying to work out whether the chinese government and most people and the people around them think they're doing the right thing uh, or whether this is the only route that's been considered yeah because, you know yeah i think um as i was saying the dissenting voice works a little bit differently um yeah yeah so it's rather than criticizing like the government as you say it's more like criticizing other teams or criticizing um other things like that um, and <laughs> yeah, the kind of backing that the government's put in it, um, especially also in the kind of youth football um, as well, I couldn't imagine anybody really saying that they're taking the league in the wrong direction. Um, yeah, so you, you, you look a little bit ungrateful when you got that. Much. <laughs> well, that's the, that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? I mean, what is the future uh, for Chinese football? I mean, with this this political and financial backing that you're talking about there, I mean, there's talk of uh, of the government wanting 50 million citizens playing football by 2020. Um, there's going to be 50,000 specialised football schools opened up across the country. Is this something that's, you know, do, do you feel like the bubble's going to burst essentially or is this something that's here to stay, you know, with, with this investment coming in, with this support? Over the next 12 months, I think the Chinese Football Association has announced that the, the budget has doubled. Um, seems to be a big increase in youth development as well. Um, is this the real deal? Is it here to stay? Do you think the, the Chinese Super League could be as big as the, the Premier League is globally in 10, 15 years? It seems they're really trying to push football and you know, push the development. But they're doing that when there isn't a kind of you know, jumpers for goalposts football culture in the country. Yeah. Uh, so... 
yeah, that gives them a kind of an element of risk of it backfiring. Um, <coughs> and it also means they have to invest a lot more to get the results than they would if, um, you know, say, the investment was in a different country. Uh, I think over the long term, definitely the Chinese league is going to keep growing. Um, and it's going to really cement itself as the top league in Asia. And in terms of global football, we're going to see, I think, a lot more of that kind of thing with other leagues starting to become dominant in their own regions and the Premier League becoming kind of either less popular um, globally as you know, fans start to switch more to their domestic leagues. Or we're going to see things like that 39th game where the Premier League becomes, you know, it starts playing its games in other countries or has some cup competitions in other countries, which we're already seeing a little bit already in the summer. And so definitely global football is going to change in, in those sorts of directions. It's just a question of how far it's going to change. And again, I think China is going to become the most the dominant league in Asia and it's going to keep getting stronger and stronger. Whether it's going to become the top league in the world, I don't think so, especially and as they only have the free foreigners rule. Um, but it's going to definitely become a lot stronger within Asia and it's going to become one of one of the world's kind of major leagues, if anything. Well, it is a fascinating situation. I think the next step, as we said, will be uh, one of those top stars. Diego Costa potentially moving this summer, but one of those top 10 players moving to the league, I think will... Uh, will definitely change the way uh, a lot of people potentially see the Chinese Super League. But, Steve Price, thank you so much for coming on The Front Free. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Um, where can people find more of your work? Uh, cheers. Um, yeah, so they can find me, as you said, on Twitter at, at KLeagueFootball um, or yeah, visit the website kleaguefootball.com. Um, and, yeah, I look forward yeah, to hearing more and I look forward to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Great stuff. Guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.